Welcome to this episode of The Work Podcast, where myself, Gina Killey, and my co-host, John Sumser, unpack tough, tough workplace problems through spirited conversations with some great guests. John, take it away. Yeah, well, today we're going to have John Strauss, who is the co-founder of Greenhouse. And if you're not familiar with Greenhouse, it is the premium applicant tracking system and recruiting tool for the mid-market. And we're having John on because John has an extraordinary way of uh, looking at the question of recruiting and how you improve recruiting and the consequences of improving recruiting that's different than anything else I know of in the marketplace. So, John, I'm going to just jump right in. And at the heart of your work is a focus on decision quality and using technology to improve decision quality in the recruiting process. Go. (laughs) no no pressure for having me on i appreciate it um yeah i think so decision quality is this idea that um i think in recruiting the stereotypical thing that happens is most people are somewhat unprepared to do to to do interviews they walk in without a clear sense of what this job is what their role is in the interview process what questions they should ask and so they end up asking a bunch of frequently irrelevant, illegal, duplicative questions. And candidates walk out feeling like, what the hell just happened, right? And I don't think they got a good sense of me. I don't think uh, uh, I got a good sense of them. You end up with a bunch of inconsistent decisions. Everybody goes into a huddle and they decide, who should we hire? Do we think this person or that person? And you end up with kind of the randomness of like whoever speaks first, everyone goes, oh yeah, I agree with them or the most senior person. Um, And of course, the obvious other thing is you get a bunch of unfairness where it's really easy for bias to slip in and for people to make uh, first impression judgments and then spend 59 minutes of an interview confirming that first impression. And she said, well, how would you fix that? And as much as people would love it to be a magical AI algorithm that just magically fixes it, we're not sure that's the thing. And so the thing we've always uh, gone to since day one is this idea of structured interviewing, where there's there's lots of research uh, out there of, of what it is and how to do it. And it's the idea that you have uh, a clear set of criteria, uh, what you're looking for, for a role, skills, personality traits, values. You then figure out an s- explicit interview process or a set of tests to evaluate that criteria. You put every candidate to that same set of tests and you write down your feedback. Not just do I like them, but did they pass those specific criteria? And then when you get down to the decision-making process, you actually have a bunch of data to work from. And you can say, listen, we all agreed these are the 12 things we're looking for which candidates have them or don't. And then you can iterate over time and get smarter and smarter about which criteria is working or not. And I think uh, most recruiters I've found who have done recruiting for more than two years have been like, obviously that's how you should do things. No one would argue you should send people in unprepared, right? Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, intuitive. Like you do get to like, this is what you should do but it's remarkably difficult to get an organization who doesn't do this to start doing it. There's a whole behavior change problem. And so that was really the foundation of Greenhouse was if a company decided, let's make good decisions, let's do structured interviewing, how would you get a company to start doing that? 
And we said, let's build that into our product. Let's make the default way that you use our product is you build interview kits. You get prepared for interviews. You fill out scorecards. And so that's kind of uh, where we started and is very much what we've been doing for the last de- decade. So, so I'm, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, this is a stroke of genius. So a couple things, though, cross my mind, and that is, why are we hearing from candidates who are like being interviewed seven, eight times, you know, by all these different people and by committees and by, I mean, and hiring takes forever. I mean, the, 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 the statistics are horrible in terms of speed to hire. So, so is the problem really tech, the technology? Is it process? Is it people? You know, like, like, there's got to be something that front ends all of this. There have to be like some hard. Qu- I'm imagining this, John. Yeah, like, are yeah, there yeah. hard conversations that have to take yeah. place before you even making a buying decision about technology to support yeah, this? Yeah. Well, I, I think um, there's a great quote. I, I didn't make this up. I wish I had. Uh, alignment equals speed. <laughs> if, Good one. <laughs> if you're if you're aligned as a team, you you all agree on what success looks like in this role. And you all agree, here's how we're going to figure out if these candidates have these things that we're looking for. It allows you to go really fast. And so when you see a, a team that says, oh, it's going to take us seven interviews to determine if we should hire this entry-level person. It's like, wow, why does it take that much to figure it out? And then what you frequently see is people do a whole set of interviews. And they meet a bunch of candidates. And they get to the end process. And they get in a room and decide, should we hire person A or person B? And the discussion ends up not being about person A or B. It's about, wait, what are we hiring for? What do you think is important in this role? And it's like, wait, you're having that conversation after you've already met all your candidates? But that's incredibly common. Really? That, that's incredibly yeah. sad. I mean, uh, that yeah. just strikes but me like, as incredibly I, 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 sad. Are you anybody who's been like in corporate hiring? Yeah. Like, Have you been in a huddle where you sat with a bunch of people and tried to debate who should we hire? And it turned out that people in the room were not on the same page as to what they were actually looking for. And so the thing, like, how do you fix that to your question is like, at the beginning, you do a kickoff meeting where you have a hard conversation between the hiring manager and the recruiter and you say, listen, what are we looking for? How we know we found it? Where are we likely to find it? Who are examples we have in the company who have these things that we could use as a model? And if you skip that step, then a big problems happen. And so I think, so usually when I go into companies, and you see that happening, like that's what it is. It's like they're, they're fundamentally unaligned. They haven't decided on what they're looking for. And so if I don't know what I'm looking for, how do I know when I found it? It's like, well, let's just do some more interviews. Maybe we'll find out. And that's why I think it takes a long time. No wonder <laughs> candidates hate this process. I mean, you know, it's really, yeah. really it's, rife with all kinds of problems. That's right. And to be clear, like, I think there's, there's other things that I think there are roles where there's such high leverage roles, right? That people are really afraid to make a, to make a mistake. And they say, I'd rather do a lot of interviews, spend a lot of time because it is that important. And if I think I can get a little bit more predictive, uh, I can remove the um, chance of a bad hire than like they're worth, they're willing to take the time, which is rough on candidates and rough internally on people. Um, but I think that's where people get to. I, I wonder, uh, I hear the theory. I really do hear the theory. I wonder if it works. You know, so so I'm thinking about frontline hourly workers, sure. But let's let's talk about I'm trying to get somebody who's good at Jason on the um development team. And 
they have to work inside of the development team and they have to interface with these four other departments in order to get everything done. Yeah. And so the odds that there's going to be an eye to eye equation of who this person is and what they're supposed to be strike me as kind of low because the people in one department are going to be looking for one kind of set of things and the people in another department are going to look for another kind of things. And the best you're going to get is a prioritization of those. Um, but even then, who makes the prioritization decision? You know, you have, you have this weird construct of the hiring manager, but anymore, the hiring manager doesn't know what his people do. They're off on teams somewhere. Um, and so, so my real question for you underneath all of that malarkey yeah. is, does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like, it's applied differently in different places. There's a what, right answer what I would here. Say, it's a great, no, I think what I would say is um, it usually takes a little bit of time and you have to iterate through it. So if you say, like, I've never done this before. I'm hiring this role. I'm not exactly sure what the person does. I pulled some people, some stakeholders together. We all debated what do we think is important. The idea that you're going to get it perfectly the first time, you have the perfect profile, you figure out the right interview questions, you hired somebody and they were awesome. Probably not. It's probably going to take some iteration. And so I think what we do see is typically folks will iterate. And they'll say, especially for like higher volume roles, not even necessarily like super high volume, but like we're going to hire five of something. Um, you'll do a little retro afterwards and say, you know, we just hired these five people. If we look back at the scorecard, do we think all the things on that scorecard were actually necessary? Are there any things that are on that that were actually kind of irrelevant to how they're behaving? Is there anything that's determining their success or failure that wasn't even on our scorecard? Is there anything about that scorecard that we were that we judged incorrectly? We thought they were all great at something, they're actually bad at it. And so I think that feedback loop then goes back and you say, well, okay, now let's let's change that profile. So when I look at like at Greenhouse, there's a bunch of roles we've been hiring for a long time. Has there been drift in how we have we changed over time and evolved the interview plan and the scorecard? Like, absolutely. So does that mean it works or doesn't work? It's like, well, do we make mistakes? Sure. Of course we made mistakes, but do I think it's getting better? Like, yes. That's super interesting. So what you're describing is uh, when I first hear about it, like a structured interviewing, that means you get a checklist and it's like making a plane take off. You check everything off on the list and the plane goes away. And what you're really saying is structured interviewing is an iterative process that um, um, incorporates learning as you go along because, of course, the organization changes. What people's credentials mean changes. We're, we're operating in a world that doesn't stand still. And so that's, that's really interesting to me. And, 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 and I wonder how your people are at, at helping others understand the sort of iterative nature of having structure. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, what we, what we see with amongst our customer base is that there's a real like maturity curve, right? And there's people, a vast amount who like have never done this before. And they're just trying to get people over the hurdle of, hey, I know you've been hiring for 20 years one way and you have your pet questions that you ask. Uh, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to like get to on a whole plan and we're going to be consistent. And once we're consistent, we can start actually collecting real data and we can understand what's truly happening inside our pipelines. And that takes a couple of hiring cycles. And it usually happens not at the company level, but kind of team by team or department by department where people make the commitment to say, let's do this. 
once you get past that and now you're collecting data, then people start to realize, geez, do we really have to do six interviews? Can we get to five? Can we get just as much confidence in our hiring process by just doing five interviews? What can we cut out? Or could we experiment with some assessment tool? Maybe there's some assessment tool that we could use and that would actually cut out a bunch of these interviews and make it much more efficient and give us just as much, much confidence. And so I think once you get to the baseline of like, okay, we have a consistent process that everybody believes in is going to do. Now we can start to like iterate and, and A-B test. So I think it's not the first thing that people grapple with. I think it's kind of a second order thing. I have a question though. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the structured interview process and I think it's, you know, definitely makes perfect sense to me. And, and from a data collection standpoint, I think there's tremendous merit to it. But you're also talking about the fluctuations that are very normal part of business. And that's why you have to iterate. How do you measure? So how do I go back a year and say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm measuring and, and, but I've made changes. Like, like when you introduce new data into a workflow, like that yeah. alters the equation. So how, how do you handle that? I, I mean, clearly there's, I, I'd say there's a couple of things going on. So I think a lot of the data that people want to focus on is they want to understand like their, their Python characteristics. What are the pass rates at each of these stages? What are the pass rates they by demographic within each of these stages? But they want to understand how come at this one interview, men are passing at twice the rate as women, hmm. as women are passing. It's like a really profound thing when you actually get to see that data and you realize, wow, we're doing everybody the same way, doing the same interviews. And yet systematically, one set of people gets through this one interview at a really different rate than everyone else. It becomes really fascinating, right? And then you can actually start to attack that and say, well, what are we doing in that interview? And so I think there's a real profound thing that happens once you start doing the structured interviewing and collecting data, you can actually introspect on that data and say, geez, what, what is happening here? As for like the drift of like, well, geez, a year later, we're asking the questions a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I think what people tend, from what I see, and not everybody is so introspective about it, is they'll look at it by, by the hire themselves and look at this hire and say, geez, that didn't work out at all. Right, that is the being a disaster. What were we thinking? That's the most meaningful metric. Yeah, it's right. It's the, I mean, that's the most common one is you're like, what were we thinking? We let that person yeah. in the building, <laughs> and they go back and read the scorecard. I, I remember watching. I, remember, I talked to customers a lot. I remember seeing the yeah. customer doing this, and they're like, "Oh, this hire was the worst hire ever." It's like, okay, let's pull up the scorecards. Let's look, and the scorecards all oh, green thumbs, right? Big star. This person's wow. going to be great. Yeah. Oh, who was the interviewer? And the hiring manager's face just goes, right, totally pale. And she goes, oh, it was me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it was this great humbling moment where you realize, yes. like, you or don't career have career vision. You are <laughs> yeah. capable of making terrible hires. Yeah. So what, so what are you going to do about that interview process that yielded a bunch of yeses on this person who is such a clearly not a fit? Yeah. And like that, that kicks off, like, a whole bunch of, of work there. And so... I think that's the actual point is that we're saying, this idea of a lot well, drifts over a year and how do you analyze that? It's like, that is so like third order. Most people are just struggling with like, they're asking random questions, abusing these candidates with just garbage. Yeah. yeah. Coming out answering at like <laughs> making the most asinine decisions and being like, Oh no interviews. It's hard. And you're like, it's so bad. 
I, I always and, remember asking a candidate where they saw themselves in five years, and they told me Paris. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, as, as, as a hiring manager, you really do ask stupid questions. I mean, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> and, so, and so I think just like having the discipline to say, like, let's just pause for a second up front. If we're going to ask the organization to spend 40 or 50 hours interviewing candidates, don't I owe it to the org to spend an hour up front thinking through, like, what do we think success would look like in this role? What are the things that are really important? What's not? And how would you test for that? Right? And in like, are random questions like that actually helpful? Maybe. Is in this current world that we're in, where things are changing so quickly, maybe like, adaptability, comfortable with ambiguity is actually a really important attribute that you didn't think about two years ago that now is absolutely primary. And those are the people who are thriving. Or you look and say, well, for a lot of things like skills, like you know, you're looking for some engineer who's good at pair pro- or enjoys pair programming. It's like, how would you test for that? Like, how about having pair program? Like watch them do the skill. Um, and like think through that whole thing. It puts you so far ahead of where most folks are. And not just from a decision quality perspective, but also from a candidate experience perspective, right? From a candidate, like if you walk in and you're like, wow, they clearly thought about what they're looking for. It's very aligned with, with like the job. And I felt like they actually tested me. I'm only going to work with people who they also accurately tested. And so I know I'm going to work with other smart people. That's exciting. Whereas when you walk in and they ask random questions that don't even relate to the job that you think you're interviewing for, what signal is, are you sending as a company? As a candidate, you're like, oh my God, like, this is what they treat me like now. What are they going to treat me like after they hire me? My God. Well, I think the, can- the candidate experience has been, I-, I think it's been looked at six ways to Sunday. I- I'd love to hear John Sumser's take on this. I know both John and I, have, we're unemployable, so we haven't been candidates in a very long time. So, so John Sumser, what's your thought on that? Oh, you know, you know, the idea that because you show up looking for work, you're entitled to something just strikes me as complete nonsense. Um, um, that um, it's, it's sold a lot of stuff recently. It really has sold a lot of stuff. But when I listen to John talk, he's really talking about something other than that. This is, this is, uh, it's, it's telling that we're having this conversation with a guy who's built a big successful software company and we're not talking about software. Exactly. We're talking about what happens because you have the software, what you can do because you have the software and the real product I think uh, that John offers is a quality of experience for the people involved in the process that results in a better organization because you introduce this fundamental discipline at the front end of it. And you know what? This isn't how software is sold. I don't understand how you're in business, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You're impacting too much positive change. We can't handle it. (laughs) I I think... uh... It's a funny point. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of people who, who walk in the front door and say, I hate my ATS. You guys have a better ATS. And they demo a greenhouse. And they're like, it is better. And so they buy. And that's great. But there are a lot of people who come in and they say, so my predecessor got fired because recruiting was totally failing. And I was hired by the CEO to like clean things up. You go, okay, so what does success look like for you? And they're like, 
I have to create like transparency and predictability in our recruiting funnel or I'm going to get fired because the last guy got fired because of that. And there's a huge need and I um, priority. Like we've got to figure out how to be more fair in our process because something is clearly going wrong. And our recruiters are all pissed off and want to quit their job and our offer acceptance rate as well. I'm like, okay, those are all business problems. So they have nothing to do with software, right? And I said, okay, so how are you going to solve that? What's the catalyst of how you get there? And we talk about what's the vision that you're trying to get to. From there, our software becomes a very obvious thing of how you would do it. But I always caution them, caution them is you're not going to stand up in front of your company and say, we bought Greenhouse, we're plugging it in, everybody's going to get a new login tomorrow, because that is not the message. The message is we're changing how we hire so we can be more successful as a business. And here's the new expectation of how we're going to work together. And here's why it's going to be so great. And the way we're going to get there is we plug in this new tool, tool called Greenhouse. And I think when we started our company 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, uh, there was great skepticism that many companies, that many people thought this way. Like who actually thinks that? Who thinks of recruiting as a strategic function? And thinks that like the CEO cares. Doesn't the CEO just want recruiting to be 20% less expensive? And that's it? And we were like, no, that's totally stupid. This is like the place where it's all happening. This is like the number one issue for most companies. And if we can help companies be awesome at hiring, like everybody's going to like that. And when we first started, it was like 10 smart companies in Silicon Valley who got it. Who on day one were like, yes, you guys, what you're saying, that's it. And now we're selling to like potato chip manufacturers in Ohio who are like, yeah, potatoes are great. It's all over the people. That's great. <laughs> and more and more people are waking up to this and realizing like, we've got to get good at hiring. This is so critical to how we win as a business. And so our message actually does resonate with a lot of people around the world. It's not just a couple of recruiting nerds in Silicon Valley. So, so I have a question that's really fundamental. I, I mean, I started my career 10 zillion years ago as a recruiter, so um, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. How do you how we were talking about alignment a few moments ago? How do you get hiring managers and recruiters to talk to each other outside of the in the moment, just in time? This is what I need today. You know, because yeah. you're you're talking about like. The process improvements that can come from conversations where there's been learning, um, but but how do you get them reengaged on that level, yeah. and how do you get the respect built between them? I, I think it's a, it's a great question, and I wish there was like a pat answer, like oh, you just do this, and then it magically works. Um, obviously, we've got all sorts of features in our product. We're launching a new like kickoff meeting tool <laughs> inside our product that we think will help with this. But what we've seen so far, I've seen it over and over again is you go into some company and they're like, and the recruiters are like, this totally makes sense. I would love to do this. It's not going to work here. The hiring <laughs> managers are too stubborn. They're not going to do it. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And this has happened so many times. I'm like, yeah, but one of the hiring managers came to the meeting for some reason. They're like, oh, yeah, she gets it. Yeah, yeah, she does. None of the rest of them do. I'm like, that's all you need is one. Yeah. And so you start working with that one and say, we're just going to pioneer it there. And the other ones are going to ignore you and they're going to keep failing the way they've been failing and doing it their own way. When that head of sales stands up and goes, oh my God, this is so much better. <laughs> I'm never going back. It's so much more powerful than the recruiters saying, please do it. And the recruiters say, hey, we're going to recruit in this new way. It, kind of sound, it can sound like nagging frequently. And so the head of engineering is like, leave me alone. 
when they're like executive partners are all like, this is great. Why wouldn't you do this? That's insane. Um, then it starts spreading across the org, right? One of the things that happens we see really frequently is as an interviewer, when you're sent like an interview kit and says, here's everything you need to do to do the interview. Here's what we know about the candidate. Here's what we know about this job. Here's the role of this specific interview in the process. Here's the exact questions to answer. And here's the things to fill out afterwards. The interviewer goes, oh my God, this makes my life so easy. A lot of people feel a lot of stress around interviewing because like, they don't know what to ask. Mm. It's like stressful. Or, or they're afraid. To, I mean, nowadays, you know, there, there are They don't want to ask the wrong issues. thing, yeah, right? they want to ask the wrong thing. They, they so. know that the, the scorecard they fill out is important. Mm -hmm. They don't want to screw it up. And so when you take all of that pressure off of them and say, this is all you have to do. You're going to do five interviews in a row. You're going to meet five candidates. You're going to ask the exact same questions each time, which makes it really easy to calibrate between them. People relax and say, oh, now I can just focus on the person in front of me instead of worrying about like, what's my next question going to be when they stop talking? God, I hope they don't stop talking. <laughs> and so when you get there and then the interviewers are like, oh, this is great. The next thing they'll say is, I'm never doing an interview again if you don't give me one of these prep kits. And suddenly the power dynamic shifts and everyone's starting to say like, hey, hey, we got to set this up correctly or we're not going to interview. And the recruiter's like, wait, you, you guys all want to do this? Holy cow. And so that's the shift that tends to happen is when people realize it makes your life way easier as a hiring manager or as an interviewer to work in this way than not to work in this way. Then it starts to get built. When you go to that, like, yeah. when you go to that huddle and you look at all the data you collected and you're like, wow, because we did that work up front and we can see all this information that we collected about the candidates, this makes our life so much easier. Why, why would we ever go back? And so that's what we see over and over again, especially right now in this moment when like every recruiter and their brother got laid off last year and now they're all getting their jobs is they walk in and the first thing they say is I'm not going back to the other world. So like day one, they want to buy greenhouse. So we're selling a ton of sale software to people who have bought greenhouse before. And they say, I'm not going back. Cause like I've seen how the culture shifts when you work in this way. And that's how I want to work. So success, oh. success begets right. success. Um, John Sumser, I know we only have a few minutes left, but uh, love to have some additional questions from you. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a big one that'll <laughs> run the clock out. Um, so 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 I'm listening to you, and and what what you're selling is what every enterprise software company wishes they were selling, which is a path to transformation that happens to include software. And you've talked about all of the work that people do and how to make um, that work easier and more effective. Well, I haven't heard you mention AI at all. You know, that's that's like the only thing that I actually care about. And, right. uh, <laughs> and so, so your view on how AI fits in, into this is is yeah. I, I actually probably know the answer to the question, but 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 I'd love to hear you lay it out. Okay, so I think. I mean, AI is obviously exciting and compelling and there's all these strides being made. And so I think people get very excited for me as like a like a, a true like product person, I would say AI is a solution. It's not a problem. And so let's start from the problem and say, what are the problems in recruiting that you could address with AI better than you could without it, right? Where are the computers smarter than the people? And for me, I think there's like three categories that I tend to see. So one category is uh, replace people like in workflow. So like scheduling. So instead of having a coordinator go back and forth and schedule with someone, 
have the candidate talk to a bot. And it'll just like work. And so there's a bunch of people working on that. And it's super interesting. I get really nervous about it because I'm like, ah, so what if it works 95% of the time? It's like, well, that means like five out of 100 candidates just got dropped on the floor and it's really bad. Is that good? Is that, a, is that okay? And so I'm not sure. It's like, we're not doing that one. We've got a bunch of partners doing it and we're quite curious to see how it goes. The next one that I think everybody jumps to is candidate and job matching, where you say, can we rate candidates based on what we can infer about them from what we learn in their resume or whatever other information we collect about them? Can we learn about the job, wherever we can infer about the job and the job description, scorecard, and things like that, and try to make some rating, um, which again, lots of people are trying. I think there's a great fear around um, the ethics of it is what's the training set that you're using? And do you have a bias in your training set that you're now just going to amplify. And so I think that there's a whole market around that of people who are working on that. And then there's a third one, which is more around decision support, where I'm going to make decisions around how should I source for this job? Uh, how many, like what, what attributes should I put on the scorecard? Um, how many, how likely, how long is it likely to take to make this higher? Where there's a bunch of places there where we actually are sitting on a whole pile of data and can give you some judgments that are much better than your gut feel. And so we watch people and say, hey, when do you want to make your hire buy? And they don't know. And they say, well, the budget says we're supposed to make it by January 1. It's like, okay, is that likely given like your history? And they're like, I have no idea. How many candidates do you think you need? I don't know. 60? You're like, did you just make up that number? Yes, I did. <laughs> Where are you likely to get those candidates? Well, we always buy job ads on Indeed. Ooh, okay. Why? <laughs> Well, because we always do. Might be fine. Indeed's a great website, right? Yeah. But maybe not. And so we see if people are making all these decisions around how they spend their time and money on either gut feel or just doing what they did last time. And I think that there's a lot of data we have there that you can apply machine learning to to make better recommendations. And so as, as you hear me talk about it, like that third one, I think, is where we have the most unique data set because we have really good structured data on like source data, pipeline data. Uh, time, who's involved with things that we can make some really good judgments uh, or make some good recommendations as to how you can do things better. And so I think that's where our unique take is. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I think we have run out the clock. Oh. Um, you made you made it without taking a licking, I think. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to compliment you on that. You, you, you really stood your ground on this. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, conversation. It's been, it's it's been great. Thanks for taking the time to do this, John. Absolutely. John, how can people get in touch with you? Our website, www.greenhouse.io. Um, obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn. I don't do social media, so you can't find me in any of those places. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks so All much right. for being our guest today. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.